Hello everybody, and welcome to the Eon Project with Mike and Jay. Due to the most recent 4th of July holiday weekend, Mike and Jay were unable to record the latest and greatest episode of the Eon Project. In order to keep moist the many and varied palettes of the fans of this show, we are re-releasing an early incarnation of this beloved program. Originally called The Darker Side and broadcast on AM radio, this particular episode will deal with all things mysterious about the 4th of July in our great country. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a much younger and more virile version of ourselves. We will be back next time with a new and exciting episode of The Eon Project. The truth exists. Believe it. Live from the WNRI studios, perched high atop the banks of the majestic Peters River. Greetings from the jewel of the Blackstone Valley, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Welcome to the Darker Side with Mike and Jay. An Independence Day version of the Darker Side with Mike and Jay. That is right. We're, we're doing a little departure from the paranormal uh, and, and to the un- and from the unexplained into the... Uh, but, it, but it's not Independence Day. We missed it. It is. And actually, I'm going to give a little history, a quick history lesson on Independence Day here in a second, if I may. You may, but not now. But here on the Darker Side, as you know, or maybe you don't, we are on a, uh, a trans-dimensional quest for knowledge. Mm. How does that sound? Your tour guides through the nether regions of the human experience. You used that one last week. Yeah, and I liked it. I figured I would test it out again, see if anybody enjoyed it. You know, it. your delivery was better today. <clears throat> Were you practicing? I practiced in the car before oh. coming in. Were you looking at yourself in the mirror? <laughs> I do. I practice repeatedly. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, if I might mention, I had an interesting conversation with a listener prior to coming into the studio uh, uh-huh. this, this uh-huh. afternoon. Um, and uh, this listener is an avid listener, and I spoke to her. Her name is Angela. I promised I would em- mention her name, so hello, Angela. Um, Angela Lansbury? No. Oh. No, much younger. Oh. Uh, in, in any case, Angela is an avid listener of the show, as I mentioned, and one of her claims to fame is that she attended uh, Texas A&M University mm-hmm. uh, down there in College Station, Texas. Um, one, of the, one of the proud alumni of Texas A&M was a man by the name of Joseph Crapper, who invented the first public toilet. That's correct. He also got his degree from Texas A&M. So congratulations, Angela, for attending such a fine university. Yeah, congratulations. That was, a, that was an extra special glimpse into Angela's life. Hi. We appreciate that. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> uh, we hope everyone had a fun-filled and uh, safe fourth. Uh, I know uh, I certainly did. Well, if they're listening now, they're probably pretty safe, because if they were injured or otherwise in trauma, they probably wouldn't be listening to the program. Well, I, I think they would be, because the dedication is, uh, is second to Some none. of them may. Mm-hmm. Some of them may. So I think maybe we should uh, clarify a prevailing myth about the, the fourth and well, why well, it's celebrated. Well, let's talk about what we did. We, last week we had uh, Jeff Belanger on the show. Oh, we it did, very yes. great. It was a great show, great interview, nice guy. Uh, spoke about his book, Weird Massachusetts. It was a great time. We'd like to have him back anytime he's uh, available. Yes, he is uh, quite the fountain of knowledge, and uh, we, we certainly appreciate him uh, making us look good last week. Yes, we didn't have to do much talking because and, uh, obviously he's very knowledgeable and can continue a, a conversation. And he brings listeners with him, which is uh, most important. Hopefully some of them uh, remain. Uh, they'll probably listen for a few minutes and then realize. <laughs> this is not the program <laughs> that they thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's talk a little bit about why we celebrate uh, our Independence Day on 4th of July. Let's do that. Uh, many people might not know that, uh, well, technically July 2nd should actually be our Independence Day. Why is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Well, the reason being is that the uh, the legal separation of the American colonies from Great Britain uh, actually occurred on July 2nd, 1776, hmm. when the uh, the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence. Well, news traveled slowly. Is that the is that what is that what the well? Place? I'm, I'm going to clarify here for okay. you. 
So the Declaration of Independence was revised several times uh, before it was finally approved by the Continental Congress on July 4, 1776. So the final approval of the Declaration uh, or the final draft was approved on July 4, 1776. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't read publicly until the 8th. That, that is correct also as well, yes. So it, any one of those days could be Independence Day. Believe it or not, and, and you know, there's that famous picture of, of the, uh, the signers handing the uh, Declaration over, the painting. Uh, it's actually very historically inaccurate because all of the people that signed it were not in the same place at the same time. Mm. They signed it all at different times, and the last people to sign it, the majority of them, signed it on August 2nd, 1776. But, but rather than have multiple paintings of people being handed the document, they right. figured they would just make a con- right. conglomeration. But uh, John Adams, one of our finest presidents, is quoted as saying, The second day of July will be the most, uh, 1776, excuse me, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. Wow. But was he, he wrong? He was off by two days. And and actually, John Adams did pass away on July fourth, fifty years. Oh, oh you stealing my thunder! I apologize. I didn't know you were yes, going to go there. Yes, I was going to go there. I was going to say, in a remarkable series of coincidences, mm, remarkable. Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, two of the founding fathers of the United States, and the only two men uh, actually who signed the Declaration to become president, died on the very same day, July fourth, eighteen twenty-six, which was the United States' fiftieth anniversary. Wow. They both died within hours of each other. What a coincidence. Isn't that amazing? Well, if you believe in uh, in, in higher things, maybe it's not a coincidence. They were, they were very good friends as well. Well, they, they were close friends at one time. They became uh, political uh, rivals they toward, did. towards the end there. They did. Um, so there's an extra special glimpse into our into our Independence Day. But it is a good, uh, a good introduction to what we're going to be discussing today, and that is secret American symbolism. That's right. We'll be, uh, we'll be talking a little more about some of our founding fathers later on. Um, so we're going to uh, get into that here in a second. I, I apologize if, uh, if I'm heaving slightly. I had a uh, chili cheese dog for dinner. You, you eat too fast, and that's what causes the, the gastrointestinal distress. Actually, it was from a, uh, a local fast food establishment, so I'm probably going to be hurting a little bit later. What do you mm. think? Hopefully you can make it through the program. We only have another 50 minutes to go. <laughs> so like we said, we're going to be delving into the, uh, the world of secret symbols of America and some of the... Uh, uh, societies associated with uh, with those secret symbols. Uh, we're going to be asking the question, uh, are there hidden messages uh, in, in some of our most uh, famous monuments uh, and, uh, and money, actually? And, and uh, various aspects of the human experience. Right. American experience. Is it part of some sort of worldwide conspiracy, or is it just an obscure piece of American history? Or is it just a coincidence, the entire thing? But we leave it up to you to decide. We give you the info, you just run with it. Like uh, Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith was a good running back. Actually, you know, Barry Sanders uh, blew him out of the water, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, but Emmitt Smith had, you know, had the Super Bowls. He did because he was fortunate enough to be on a great Dallas Cowboys team. He had that offensive line that I, th- I think I, I could have probably ran for 1,000 yards with that offensive line. You, you're probably right about that. Yeah, they were big big guys. So anyway, well, first off, did you, uh, did you see that Carl Malden died? I saw Carl Malden passed away. He was uh, 563. You know, actually, I would have guessed he was dead already, yeah. to be quite honest. But uh, actually, he was, he was 97. 97 years 97, old. 97, and he, he made his last television appearance as Father Thomas Cavanaugh. I thought you were going to say Father Time. No. And <laughs> because he could have been that, too. He, and fi- he, it was, that was in uh, 2000 on an episode of The West Wing. That was a long time ago. Which uh, actually brings us, ironically, full circle. Look at that. Because we're going to be talking about the White pay House. pay attention, folks. So anyway, uh, we like to try to tie everything together here on the, uh, on the darker side when possible. Well, maybe we should start at the beginning. Uh, and and it, it is only fitting that we have this topic on this, uh, this Independence Day weekend. Um, it's impossible to discuss American symbolism without recognizing that some of our founding fathers had allegiances uh, that were not the norm, so mm-hmm. to speak. That's, that, is, uh, that is correct. Um, many of you have maybe heard of or not heard of a, a group called the, uh, the Freemasons. Uh, I've heard of them. Have you? 
Well, I have. Well, that, that makes my job a little easier very, here tonight. Yes. Um, a lot of the founding fathers, and we'll get into specifically uh, who they were and how many of them there were here in a little bit, were actually members of, of the Freemason Society. And a lot of people like to... Th- they, they describe the society as a secret society. Mm. However, I like to describe it by saying they're not really secret societies. They're more like societies with secrets. You didn't come up with that. Because that that's it, actually from the uh, the Freemason uh, uh, publicity guide. I didn't say I came up with it. I thought you said that you like to say that. I do like to say that because I agree with that. But you stole that. that from them. No, I didn't steal it. You just anyway, plagiarism. It, Who's ever listening? Reason being, if they were truly secret societies, would we even know about them? That's correct. We wouldn't know anything about them. But, Unless uh, there were some leaks. <laughs> However, a lot of people who have no affiliation with these groups do know a lot about them and, uh, and, and know what they stand for. Right. In this program, we're not going to be discussing the secret societies that existed in, in early America per se, we, but we, we do have to give you a little bit of background about this particular one because of so many uh, symbols that are tied to them. Right. So we'll, get, we'll give a quick uh, background on, the, on Freemasonry and what it is and what it was. Um, and it, there's also a number of other so-called, quote-unquote, secret societies that uh, we're going to spend a probably another whole program here in the future uh, devoted to breaking down these these different groups. So the actual early history of Freemasonry is, is still clouded in mystery, but uh, generally it's believed that Freemasonry had its roots in real masonry and the, uh, the Stoneworkers Guild of 16th century Scotland. Um, but as a mythical history that, that Freemasonry uh, kind of perpetuates, uh, is that the foundation of the fraternity was by the builders of King Solomon's Temple. Which would have been much b- long before 15th century Scotland. Right. The, the point of this was try to and establish a lineage that goes back millennia to mm. give Masons a, you know, a credibility mm-hmm. uh, and a history. But really, there's actually not much uh, evidence to tie them into that. No record of them before uh, the 16th century uh, Scotland. Right. However, they have also been linked to the famous group, the Knights Templar, mm. which uh, is a show on its own. But uh, just to give you a quick reason why they are associated with them, um, the Knights Templar, uh, excuse me, the Knights Templar were officially disbanded in 1312 by Pope Clement V because they, you know, obviously become very powerful. Um, and some believe that some of the knights made their way to Scotland and, and were uh, eventually, you know, where Freemasonry was eventually formed. Uh, and, and some think that the, the early uh, Knights Templar had something to do with that or the later Knights hmm. Templar, I should say. Anyway, uh, in 1599 in Edinburgh, or Edinburgh, Edinburgh, how would you like to say it? If you're, if you're smart, you say Edinburgh. <laughs> okay. So say it that way. I will. Okay. That's the last time I'm going to say it, though. Okay. So Freema- uh, Freemasonry was operating as a trade guild or a union, uh, and originally their secrets were trade secrets taught to a Mason apprentice. Um, oh, just one more thing, if I may. Uh, feel free to call in with your questions or comments. Oh, you know what? Let's give out the call numbers because we forgot to do that. Yeah, yeah, we did. It's uh, 766-1380, 769-0600, toll free at 1-800-949-9674. And if you call in, and by, by no means am I discouraging you from calling, I, we encourage that. But if you start to talk about a topic that, we're not gonna, that we haven't covered yet but we will, we're probably going to cut you a little bit short because we don't want you to, to run away with our show. Yeah, because then we wouldn't have anything else to then, talk about. Then you wouldn't listen to us because you're already smart enough to know what we're going to talk about. We'd have to switch it over to the pet show. Yep. So if, any pet if anyone wants to listen to the pet show, let us know because we'll, you know. Email us and uh, we'll try to work some pet talk in. How's that? Yeah, we could do that. So anyway, getting back to uh, Freemasonry, if I may. Uh, originally, their secrets were trade secrets, like I said, taught to uh, Mason apprentices. And uh, the trade unions, they slowly evolved uh, into a social club. In 1717, they were reorganized as that, as such, strictly as a, as a, uh, as a social club. And, and a lot of their ideas, which we're going to discuss, are ideas that come, come up again in the Declaration of Independence and in the U.S. Constitution. Um, and one of their main themes was, was a radical idea at the time, and actually that was the separation of church and state. 
which is should be a, a familiar phrase to uh, to people today. Now, people have heard that, I'm sure. So the Masons, as a, as a social group, believed that men of different religious faiths could believe that God existed. So it didn't matter what your denomination was. You know, you could be uh, Catholic or Muslim or Jewish or whatever. As long as you believed in a higher power, that being God, then uh, their religious discussions would, would end at that point. So atheists were not allowed. That's correct. Boy, those atheists, they get discriminated against. You know, that people, you know, it's funny about atheists. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in religion. But yet atheism is a, is a religion so to speak. They have these, like, atheistic groups out there. So they do believe in something. I don't know. They believe in each other, I who, guess. Who knows? Actually, I know some atheists. Uh, one of them is actually a pretty smart individual. Well, that, but not, not that's s- not, you know. It's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But most famously amongst, yes. the fa- about, amongst the founding fathers who were Masons was George Washington. That, that is correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, George Washington donned Masonic regalia when attending official government functions while he was president and, uh, and afterward. That is right. And we'll get a little bit more into why he would do that uh, later on and uh, some of the more uh, interesting aspects of his, uh, his Masonic history, so to speak. Hmm. But uh, over, over time, the idea of being able to keep the secrets by the Freemasons was sometimes more important than the secrets themselves. You know, it was basically a test of uh, one's trustworthiness, uh, you know, if somebody could actually keep a secret or not. So the idea was if you couldn't keep a handshake or a password... Well, it seems to me yes? that these secrets have all come out, so they're probably not very good at keeping the secrets. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. in this day and age, there really are no more secrets. Everybody knows everything. Well, pretty you, much. You could probably look it up on the internet or in a book. I've got most, some secrets. Most likely, I'm sure that you have more than one. <laughs> and so, we don't want to air them because they're probably inappropriate. So the lodges provided a the lodges is what they what the the Freemasonry was what they call their little uh, little gathering places, um, kind of like the Elks. They have lodges, the Elks Club and the Rotarians. Uh, so the lodges provided a network of friends with basically the same core beliefs. Um, and, and here's where some of the things get very interesting, and this is where they're t- the Freemasonry is tied tightly knit into Ooh. the history of America. Some of their beliefs, separation of church and state, like we stated, uh, equality of men, freedom of speech. If any of this sounds familiar, it's because uh, the U.S. Constitution uh, and the Masonic Constitution. They Holds took, many of those precepts. Right. They took a lot of the, a lot of the wording from the Masonic Constitution and used mm. it. So it's and, very tied, uh, tied very closely to the founding of America. That is correct. And this is not, uh, not uh, uh, tinfoil stuff, people. This is uh, actuality. Right. You know what I mean? Well, we're going to be getting into some of the secret symbolism of America, starting with the Founding Fathers, if you stay tuned. So stay with us. Welcome back to The Darker Side with Mike and Jay. Our topic today is secret American symbolism. What on earth were they thinking? What the heck was going on back then? Well, we, uh, we started off the program speaking about the Freemasons and how their connection to, um, to the founding fathers and the founding of America uh, were laid. That's right. And before we continue, we're going to give out the call numbers once again because I know again. that there's some questions out there. There should some, be. Some people are sitting around going, this is not a ghost show. Yes, I've already had one comment from a listener who wanted to know why we weren't talking about ghosts. I just had one. I promise you. Okay. So uh, every week will not be about ghosts on this program, although we do appreciate that topic, and we will cover it 
extensively, but we, you know, we, we're kind of a well-rounded show. We like to get into, right. you know, jack of all trees See, the, type thing. The point of the the darker side title just means that uh, all these things that are not necessarily in the light of day, we like to bring forth. And excuse us for trying to give you a history lesson, Chris. We're trying to educate you, people. Appreciate that. So the numbers here are 766-1380, 769 or 1-800-949-9674. And uh, there are ghosts involved mm. at some point in the White so House. So that's a teaser. Just maintain White your House listenership. ghosts. Maybe, maybe a, a, a next logical jumping off point would be to discuss some of the hidden meanings that people have found over the years in the city of Washington, D.C. itself. Okay, well, if I may, before you jump into that real quick, may I say something? Please. I, I would like to just uh, you know, give, it, give a quick background on uh, uh, the, uh, the, the sinister motivations that some people may have in looking into these symbols. Well, I thought we... Okay, go ahead. Well, anyway. No, no, no. So anyway, uh, a, a 19th century Freemason named uh, Leo Taxel was actually credited with being at the root of uh, trying to expose Freemasonry for uh, sinister, sinister things. So mm-hmm. what happens is the, in these hidden symbols and whatnot in uh, the layout of D.C., which we're going just about ready to talk about, um, they, they, there tends to be some, uh, some hidden things, and people have their own interpretation as to what they might be and what their meanings are. Well, it's important to note that, that what people's motivations are in, in pointing out things like that. That is correct. So getting to the layout of Washington, if you, can, you can look at a map of Washington, D.C. today, a street grid layout, and you can see some symbols in there, and most... Most of the time, you know, you will see symbols like that in, in a, due to the, the phenomenon of matrixing, which we've discussed in this program before. But there are some specific symbols that people have seen in the design, and uh, we're going to speak about them now. The original street layout, it's important to note, the original street layout of Washington, D.C. was designed by Pierre-Charles L'Enfant in 1791, uh, who was a mason, by the way. He was not a mason. That's not the information I got. Oh, I got just the opposite. But no. okay, continue. Don't correct me on the air. That's unprofessional. <laughs> L'Enfant incorporated a basic grid system intercut with broad diagonal, diagonal radiating avenues to provide vistas or views. Uh, so it was laid, laid out with, with that grid in mind. And uh, in 1792, surveyor Andrew Ellicott revised L'Enfant's plan, creating the design that the federal city's development followed. So there were a few different people who worked on the grid. It wasn't just one person on the street layout of, of Washington, D.C. One of the most... Famous patterns that can be discerned from looking at, at a street grid of Washington, D.C. is a pentagram. Now, a pentagram, to those who don't know, is uh, often associated with witchcraft, uh, the occult, some sort of magical symbol. And th- basically what you can do, and you can go online anytime and, and find this, just put pentagram Washington in, in a search engine, it'll come up, is you can connect several different points on the map and create a pentagram. The pentagram that's most often seen is uh, was was a connection of five points: Dupont Circle, Logan Circle, Washington Circle, Mount Vernon Square, and the White House. Now, it's important to note that the design is not complete, with the leg of the pentagram not even connecting on the left side of the diagram, mm-hmm. which is issue number one with this with this theory. In fact, the theoretical line passes directly through a neighborhood, so that's probably mm-hmm. not a valid line. One of the other problems is that the, the pentagram has a negative connotation today, but back back then it was it did not actually. It was a symbol of balance and of a rational government. Um, and so throughout history, you know, leaders and designers look for a way to incorporate things that they believe in into into the monuments and buildings and such. So even if it is in there, it may not be a bad thing at all. Correct. Uh, some other people think that the pentagram area can actually be seen also as a hexagram, which is a six-pointed geometric star figure 
or the compound of two equilateral triangles. Now, if you're a fan of geometry, and I know I am, mm-hmm. you know all about equilateral triangles. We know because you, you got a six in um, that class. <laughs> I got a six in geometry. Not so, a 60, a six. Six out of 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, the interlacing triangles or deltas symbolize the union of the two principles or forces, the active and passive, male and female, pervading the universe. So uh, even according to Masonic uh, lore, even if there is a hexagram or a pentagram in there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, just going along with what you just said. Right. So although the hexagram is, is a symbol used in Freemasonry, it's also a symbol used by the Jews, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, occultists, and probably the Klingons. Uh, probably. It's a symbol that pervades the world and has for many centuries. The Klingons, they were powerful people, were they not? I think they were. Was it the Klingons or the Romulans who were the warlike? Or maybe they were both warlike. Oh, there were a lot of warlikes on the, uh, on the Star Trek. There were, any, if you had a furrowed brow, because I believe the Romulans also had furrowed brows, as did the Klingons. And if you have a furrowed brow, as we, you know, we talked about phrenology many mm-hmm. weeks ago, mm-hmm. the, the extended brow, Cro-Magnon look, who means is that, you're violent. Uh, the guy Worf, who, what was he? I, I believe he was a Klingon. He was a Klingon. He had uh, he had the uh, the, the enlarged forehead with the uh, again extended brow equals mean, angry, and angry. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yes. So one of the other uh, supposed hidden objects that's in the layout of the city is uh, is the square and compass, which is uh, probably the most important symbol of of Mason, uh, masonry. Uh, is the, the the square and compass, which actually has a G in the middle of it. Mm. Uh, on the official symbol That's of the it, official logo which stands for which stands for God and geometry the two together mm. um, uh, the interesting note about the the square and um, and compass that supposedly is in the layout if you look at it it does look like a square and compass however the uh, the square itself is not actually 90 degrees. It's only 85 degrees. So in reality it would be 90 it would be 90 if they were creating it on purpose another another problem with that is that the, the symbol and compass uh, excuse me the compass and square. Uh, symbol that can be seen by tracing the lines. Um, it's connecting an imaginary line between the White House, the U.S. Capitol, and the Jefferson Memorial. The problem is the Jefferson Memorial didn't begin construction until 1938. Mm-hmm. So if they were laying it down in 1791 or thereafter, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, they just started the Jefferson Memorial. So what was over there? Right. Well, But one specific uh, geometric design that we know was done for a reason uh, and done uh, because they wanted it to be done that way, is the, a triangle which is formed uh, with three buildings, the Washington Monument, the Capitol, and the White House. And L'Enfant, the L'Enfant. designer of the city, he made it into a Pythagorean right triangle. I told you we were going to get into geometry today. I told you. No one believed me. This, this triangle actually contains a sacred secret formula in architecture called the Golden Ratio. Mm. Uh, not to be confused with the Golden Rule. No. What is, is the golden rule? Do unto others as you will have them do unto you. It's not silence is golden? That's not the golden no, rule? No, that's the rule at the movie theater. I thought that was don't scream fire. No, the, no. there's a little guy that comes out on the screen before a movie, mm-hmm. and it says silence is golden. Oh. So that, that could be a golden rule, too. So the golden ratio, it's, it's actually a formula, uh, formula used by architects for eons uh, to build How long every- is an eon? That's a long time. Just say, you know, I don't even know. Why don't you look it up and find out? I'm going to look up back what, to us. how long an eon is. So it's, it's been used for eons to build everything from the Parthenon in Greece to, uh, to the Washington Monument. And so this is a magical... Uh, Magical number. It's it's a ratio. It's like one. I don't have it in front of me. But it's like one, one yeah, to one, one four, point one point six one four. something or other. One point one four goes on and on. I think it is. Don't ask me how to use that in in uh, practical application because I would have no idea. But if there's any uh, geometry geniuses or architects out there who know the golden ratio and can explain it better than it's, I, yeah, if you can explain that, give us a call seven six six thirteen eighty seven six nine zero six hundred one eight hundred nine four nine nine six seven four. 
But speaking of the Washington Monument, if I may, please. Uh, it was that that building was definitely without question designed by a Freemason. His name was Robert Mills, mm. and uh, of course, you look at it and it represents. It doesn't look uh, American. No, it uh, it was built. What looks American though? Nothing. Amer- how can something look American? Apple pie. That doesn't look American. It looks round. Taste, taste American. It tastes American. Anyway, uh, the uh, the Washington Monument was uh, was to be a replica of an Egyptian obelisk, mm. which, uh, as we all know, is a phallic symbol, which well, represents it, power. Right, and it also represented uh, in, in ancient Egypt. The obelisk symbolized the sun god Amon Ra or Amon Ra, mm-hmm. and uh, were usually erected in pairs at the entrances of tombs. Erected in pairs, okay. And it was also, if I may stay on ancient Egypt for just a moment. Absolutely. Uh, the, the ancient Egyptians believed that the god himself resided in the obelisk, or obelisk, mm-hmm. that that was his home. Oh. So that, that leads to some conspiracy theories later on. Did he know his home? I don't know, but if there was more than one obelisk, where did he live? how did he live more in one place? Well, he's, uh, all he's things at he, all times. He's the, the sun god. He's in Ra. every place at once. I went That's to a nightclub awesome. called Ra in the Luxor... Uh, casino in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. What a great place. I've been there. Have you? Yes. What a great a, place. Uh, I think it was $25 for a drink. You know what's interesting is it's a it's a uh, wonder of modern architecture, but yet the design is thousands of years old. You're talking about the club or the pyramid? The pyramid itself. Oh, because the club is really just kind of look like a club. Anyway, the Washington Monument is exactly 550 feet high, which, which is a representation of George Washington. And uh, the 13 steps, there are 13 steps within the top of the pyramid. So, and actually, thirteen is a uh, is a mystical number that that raises its head uh, again and again. Time and again, another another magical number in the Washington Monument is its capstone, which is the top. Mm-hmm. Supposedly weighs exactly thirty three hundred pounds, oh. and uh, thirty three is a magical number in Freemasonry. Uh, the thirty third degree is the highest level you can attain. That is correct. Also, <laughs> the total cost of the Washington Monument was reported to be one point three million dollars. Again, showing the Masonic number thirteen. Uh, there's a there's a lot of obscure mathematical facts related to the, and I think if you look far enough into just about any building, you might see some. So maybe uh, maybe we should uh, before we get into some of the the, he- the hidden uh, s- secret symbols on the, uh, the on our money, maybe we should uh, talk about some of our early Freemasons, such as George Washington. I know we didn't really talk much about we mentioned him, but we didn't really talk much about who Let's he was do it up. and why he got in, involved in Freemasonry. Uh, at an early time in his life. So George Washington, as most people know, was the first president of the United States. Was he not? He was. And uh, he was the epitome of honor among men. Supposedly. However, most people don't know who he really was. And we're going to tell you. He was a very private man. Uh, Washington was born February 22nd, 1732 in Virginia. And, and interestingly enough, some people claim that he's a direct descendant of a family uh, of Washingtons that came over to the Mayflower. But there's, uh, there's really no evidence to suggest that. Uh, Washington's great-grandfather arrived in America in 1657, which, of course, is 37 years after the Mayflower landed. So let's jump ahead uh, to Washington as it relates to our topic that we're, we're discussing about Please today. Please, let us do. Washington was 20 years old when he was uh, first initiated into a Masonic Lodge in Fredericksburg, Virginia. If there's any Washington historians or any historians in general listening, please call in and uh, correct Because the chances of that are great. <laughs> so the lessons he learned early on as a, as a Mason became important to him his whole life. So we just talked about the number 33. Interestingly enough, when Washington was general of the Continental Army, Army, 33 of his generals were Masons. Wow. How about that? And I think his baseball jersey number was 33. It was. When he played for the Boston Red Sox. It was, and he wore the tall boots, too. To Clean, run around the bases. He was, a, boots. he was quite the man. 
He could he could round those bases in spurs and heels. You know, he was he was an all around player. He could uh, he could he would knock one out of the park. He, he could, could run. He could steal bases. He was amazing. He could run. He could hit. He's a triple threat. So, like we said, the number thirty three is very important in Masonic tradition and reappears over and over again. So, when Washington was sworn in uh, as the first president of the United States, he was adorned in his Masonic regalia, mm. and he took his oath on a Masonic Bible from the St. Lo- uh, John's Lodge in Philadelphia. So, as you can see here. There is a, uh, there's a trend developing in uh, the early, uh, early America in terms of our founding fathers. It's important to note also that, that uh, Washington joined the Freemasons as, as was due his station. It was, it was very much a social uh, climbing organization. People joined it because they thought that it could raise their social status and give them standing in the community. So it was, uh, it was incumbent upon him to join the Freemasons. It was really more of a, uh, a task than, mm-hmm. uh, than anything else. But he did maintain his, his Masonic uh, credentials throughout his life that that's correct and like a lot of the uh, you know the conspiracy theorists claim that the the mason Ma- masons are a satanic cult and they want to take over the world and i must say people if their plan was to take over the world it's taking them a long time it's taking them a very long time america is what 233 years old or something like quickly that? do the math i don't know i'm not good at math but anyway we're an old we've been around for a few hundred years <laughs> they haven't taken over the world yet how do you know well, maybe they have. They may, maybe. They influence us to this day. Maybe. They're listening to this broadcast. <laughs> but we are broadcasting. There you go. They haven't cut us off yet. Not yet. Everybody knew Washington was a Mason. That wasn't a secret. He wore no, his, he wore his stuff openly. Yeah. He wore his regalia all about uh, to to some of the uh, the more important events that took place in early America. Hmm. So, it's not a secret. The Masons they they played an important role in the foundation uh, of our country. And uh, and it, of course, the Masons make their way into our constitu- uh, constitution as we as we noted earlier. Uh, oh, an interesting note, if I may. Uh, nine signers of the Declaration of Independence were Masons, hmm. and 13 of the 39 signers of the Constitution were also Masons. But yes. gi- given the information that we just gave you, that it was a social climbing uh, organization that p- many people in that in, in the uh, upper crust, if you will, of society joined the Freemasons, it wouldn't be irregular for that many people to be members of, of that. that. That is correct, sir. That would be like being a member of a, a country club today. Or the Boy Scouts. Or the Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. another elitist organization. That are trying to take over the world. They wouldn't let me in. With their three-fingered salute. I'm, I wouldn't make it. I think I made it to Wolf. Is there, is there a bear? I think I made it to Bear. I, I didn't make it that far. And I never I never became a Weebelow. A, so a Weebelow? I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a distinguished no, but, title. No, but it is. They is wore it? the plaid bandana. Oh, r- did they? Versus the straight blue. The blue were the Cub Scouts, I believe. Yeah, you were a Cub Scout until you became a bear, and then I think you became a Weebelow. and uh-huh. then you, you, that was your transition age. wasn't Wasn't the uh, when you had your your weekly meetings? Wasn't that at a lodge? Was that what was it? Where? No, it was. They called it a den. Oh, a den. And it was at someone's house. It was one of the mothers. Oh, that's right. And there was a den mother. And she would make brownies. It I was still a great remember time. the den mother. Yeah, it was fun. Ah, uh, what a great time! What are we talking about again? I don't know. But anyway, interestingly enough, Benjamin Franklin, who was one of our founding mm. fathers, he was not a president. But he was a very influential man early in America. Um, he was not the jovial old fat man that we've all come to know and love, actually. <laughs> he led a, a, a secret and dark existence. He wasn't fat. He was hefty. Uh, it didn't stop him with the ladies. Uh, as a matter of fact, it did not, and we're going to talk about that. We are? Benjamin Franklin was a member of many secret societies, including the Masons. Um, and uh, it, but However, one of the most intriguing and interesting clubs that he was a part of was a club called the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club. Which was a secret sex club. Ooh. Mm-hmm. How sordid. Yes. Uh, and members would go underground, and that's not a metaphor. 
they would literally go underground <laughs> in hidden caves and tunnels, and uh, they would take part in wild, drunken orgies. And this this club was not in the United States, though. This no. was when he was on his his overseas uh, ventures. That's right. That's where it, it initiated. Was in uh, was in England, and uh, Ben Franklin was a part of this secret sex club. So uh, wow, we probably don't look at him the same way now, do we? I do. Do you? Yeah. You always looked at him as a. I, sex, I always did. He was sex a, he's cat, a sexy didn't man. Okay. Well, Moving he played, on. He played a huge role <laughs> in the formation of early America. But one of the good things that came out of his association with these uh, clubs is that he used his influence uh, with these different societies to benefit America when he was trying to negotiate with the, you know, the French and, of course, uh, as the English, as we all know. Hmm. He was a social climber and a, a political uh, manipulator. So that's a, an extra special glimpse into uh, Franklin's sex life. We'll get into some of the, it's uh, kind of disgusting, really. <laughs> all right. Okay, so where were we? Well, we were, we, were, uh, we were just about to take a break. That's right. And when we come back from the, great, the break, we're going to speak about the great seal of the United States, secret messages on our money, and who knows? Who knows Stay what else we're going to delve into? Stay tuned. Back to the darker side with Mike and Jay. Tonight we're talking about early America as it relates to the founding of our country and some of the uh, the little uh, obscure his- uh, mysteries of history, so to speak. Historical blurbs. That uh, that most people don't know about, which we're trying to bring to the forefront here. Uh, so the numbers are, if you'd like to call, because we're in the home stretch, 766-1380, 769-0600, and the toll-free number is one 800 949 Nine six seven four. If I may, before we jump into the Great Seal, Please. I would just like to close out one last thing on Washington D.C. If I may, um, stop asking permission. Just do it. Oh, I'll just do it then. Well, I'm trying to be polite, sir. Oh, around me? What a what a waste of time. We call the city Washington D.C. as we all know, the District of Columbia. Mm. But where did it get its name? Great question. Washington obviously came from George Washington. Mm. Um, originally, the the name used by Washington was called Federal City before they, they, they settled on the name. Um, however, Thomas Jefferson, he headed a committee to come up with the official name. And actually, one of the names they originally came up with was Washington-Nople, like Constantinople. Well, that would have been weird. Yeah, that was, that's a kind of a tongue twister. Washington-Nople. Washington-Nople. Um, but the term District of Columbia comes from the melding of two additional names. District, obviously from the term Federal District, which was used early on, and Columbia... Uh, which some people think has a uh, occultish meaning to it, but Columbia is from a poem in which the goddess Columbia protects America from Britain. All right, so uh, that's where Washington, D.C. comes from. Moving there, on. There you go. I bet that's interesting to some. It, I'm sure that it is. Some fell asleep. <laughs> After the founding of the United States, uh, there were several committees formed with a goal of creating a great seal for the for the new country. Uh, great seals are used on official documentation and... and uh, Designs on buildings and whatnot. We're not talking about the seal that at the uh, the water park balances the ball in his nose. No, this is a seal that goes on documents. Ah. So, the Great Seal. Uh, several committees were formed, obviously, to to uh, to come up with a, a design for the seal, and it was going to be voted upon. And famously, Benjamin Franklin was involved in the process. Uh, however, 
Franklin's design was ultimately not chosen. It was it was several years in the making, and the final uh, the final uh, seal that was voted on is a two sided design with the, with the famous unfinished pyramid and all seeing eye on one eye and on one side, and the eagle and the shield on the other. It's a very famous. Um, image that most people are probably very familiar with. Well, for all you conspiracy people out there, the, of the dozen or so people that were on the design committee, only Ben Franklin was actually a mason. Right. The rest were not. And his design incorporated uh, Moses parting the Red Sea. Yes. It was very esoteric in nature. Right. Um, not that this one isn't, but they ultimately decided to go with the, with this, with the design that you see today. Mm-hmm. Um, the all-seeing eye is, the, is probably the first thing people notice about when, you, when you're speaking about symbolism and, and what the hidden meanings of things would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's simply a floating eye above an unfinished pyramid. Uh, now, the all-seeing eye is an, is a Masonic symbol, but it is also a symbol that's been used in a lot of different cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the all-seeing eye may have been adopted into Freemasonry from the ancient Egyptian symbol for the god Horus, mm-hmm. which was an eye uh, symbol. So, that's one. It's, it, if I may, they... they uh the whole point of the eye is it's to represent the all-seeing power of God. Right. That's the, the official the official word. Right. Is, is that that's the, the eye is the, also known as the eye of providence, mm-hmm. and that it is the eye of God looking over, uh, the, and the unfinished pyramid represents our country, which is not yet completed and will is, will always be worked upon. You also have uh, on above the pyramid or below the uh, below the pyramid, excuse me. You have the words novos ordo seclorum, which literally trans- translated means new order of the ages and a lot of times it's actually mistranslated as new world order that's correct and that's where a lot of conspiracies go wrong if new world order was actually what they meant to write it would have said novos ordu mundi m-u-n-d-i which it does not say that no and uh, that's the motto underneath of the design and on top of the design is the motto annuit coeptis which literally means he nods in assent to the things that have been started but with combination with the Eye of Providence symbol, it's officially translated as he, meaning God, has favored our undertakings. Correct. So you can look at it, and if you if you mistranslate it, like you said, and you translate Novus Ordo Seclorum into New World Order, mm-hmm. then you have uh, that God is favored the New World Order. Right. Which is not correct. Right. That is not correct. So <laughs> and, uh, you know, the... the like we said, the uh, the he has favored our undertakings. Depending on which theory you subscribe to, the he could mean God or it could mean Satan, which some people believe is uh, Masons are a satanic uh, cult. In actuality, the phrase Novo, Novus Ordo Seclorum is, was actually taken from a poem by Virgil, the ancient Roman poet. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from. Oh, he's, he's quite the poet and he didn't even know it. Virgil? Yeah. Yeah, I like that name, Virgil. That's a good name. It's a good strong name. If I name. get another dog, I'm going to name it Virgil. Really? Yeah, that's a cool name. I'm going to name my next son Virgil. No. My wife is listening. Don't hurt don't hurt the kid. We just agreed on a name for the next boy. So Take obviously the, boy. the Great Seal of the United States has some symbols and there's some more on there which we won't have time to get into unless we unless you you have something else to add. Uh yes actually if you look at the the front of the the seal which is the actual the the, the part with the eagle on it the eagle and the uh, and the feathers and all that if you look on the back of your your dollar bill you'll see it there. Um <clears throat> the uh the, the eagle on his left wing but as you look at it, it would be his right wing, um, has 32 feathers, and on the other wing, he has 33 feathers. That number again. 33. You know what I just thought of? Yes. Rolling Rock Beer has, has the number 33 Yes, that is another it. conspiracy. And that's for another day. My, my conspiracy would be that Rolling Rock Beer is terrible and tastes disgusting. You might as well just scoop some water out of your toilet. It's really bad. That's what it tastes like. Yeah. Nobody likes Rolling Rock. Nobody. 
So if you look at the eagle, he's looking to the wing with the 33 feathers on it, which supposedly implies that, that the, the Masons had a hand in that. Uh, the number 13 is, like we said, is also another important number and a mis- mystical number that comes up. And it comes up a lot, but what, were they, what was the number 13 in early America? Was the 13 colonies? 13 colonies, right. right. That could have represented that. Who knows? But uh, there are 13 leaves on the olive branch that the eagle is holding. Th- there's also 13 stripes on the shield. And there's 13 arrows and stars on the uh, on the seal as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there also 13 steps to the pyramid? Which pyramid? On the other, the unfinished pyramid. There's 13, oh, there is 13 steps. Right, and there is actually 13. Uh, that is correct. 13. Look at that number. Look it just that. shows up just, everywhere. But you know what? As you up. as you said, with an eye for what just took place, you know, the ratification of the of the, the Declaration of Independence by 13 colonies, mm-hmm. maybe they'd want to put 13 in a lot of things. Right, but you know what? Who, who knows what it really meant or stands for? But who really cares? I mean, it's an interesting part of history. I mean, the, these uh, these hidden messages and symbols. Why do they Why do they have meaning and power? Because we give them meaning and power. You know what I mean? It's just they're just numbers and they're just symbols. That's profound. It depends on how you look at them. Anyway, the Latin phrase "e pluribus unum" also appears on the uh, on the front of the seal with the eagle, and. Uh, we, we think we're having a paranormal experience here in the studio. Yeah, that, keep hearing noises. Actually, that is correct. There, there is uh, no one here in the studio, but we do keep hearing noises. I'm waiting to see a demonic face up if, here. If there is, then you'll have a sudden silence on the radio as we will leave in terror. So the, the Or term- lock myself in here, one of, the, one of the two. I'm not being locked in here with you. I'll jump out the There's window. There's a window right there. Well, you know, the majestic Peter River had been swelling because of the rain. So we could probably safely dive in. Probably get eaten by a fisher cat if I jump back there. Yeah, that's pretty scary back there. Anyway, the, uh, the term e pluribus unum means out of many, one. Mm. And you can translate that any way you wish. What do they mean by that? Out of many, one. Well, t- to me, it would mean uh, of the many colonies, one nation, or mm. of the many peoples, cultures, religions, races, whatever, one people. Ah, interesting. That's what I would say. That's a way to break that down. Anyway, why don't you uh, go to some of the <laughs> other interesting notes? Well, I-, I was going to move along to the money. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, the secret symbols and our money, and one of them... Is, we're speaking about paper money, really, at this point. Um, there, there are some things happening on our coin money, on our metal money, but uh, we're speaking about paper money at this point. Uh, obviously, the all-seeing eye does appear on U.S. currency as well. We've already discussed that. Um, but there are some hidden things that you might not see unless you actually pay special close attention to. One of the most enigmatic is on the reverse of a dollar of a one-dollar bill, a tiny owl can be seen in the upper right-hand corner of the central part. That is correct. Um, it can only be seen with a microphone, a magnifying glass, or if you have perfect vision, as I do. I can see the outline of the... You're throwing papers at me. What are you doing? Sorry. The, <laughs> the, the, uh, the symbol is obviously there. It's a tiny little owl. Now, this owl has sparked a lot of controversy, probably because of... A, a, in relation to a secret society. Here we go again. Here we go. The modern conspiracy theorists point to a group known as the Bohemian Grove. Mm-hmm. Uh, established in 1872, the Bohemian Grove is actually the name, Bohemian Grove or Bohemian Club, is a yearly gathering of the world's elite in the forests of Northern California. Uh, at Bohemian Grove sem- ceremonies, a large statue of an owl mm-hmm. called Moloch is present. Members of the grove, of, members of the grove sacrifice uh, symbolic things uh, to Moloch in, in, in these Bohemian Grove um, ceremonies. Now, you're probably thinking... That these are a bunch of weirdos that go to this Bohemian Grove thing. Who cares? Actually, the list of, of members of Bohemian Grove are reported to contain none other than both George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr. W. 
Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Henry Kissinger, Casper Weinberger, Dick Cheney, and a host of celebrities, politicians, and other higher-ups, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They all gather together in the woods, and they have these elaborate ceremonies where it appears, and I've seen some videos. It's shaky video because it's, you know, it's an exclusive. Someone's hiding in the woods. It's a secret video. But there are... There are uh, there is footage of a giant owl being looks like worshipped or, or things being burned to in in in, uh, in sacrifice to Moloch. Mm-hmm. Now Moloch, as I said, is an owl. That's what it is symbolized at the Bohemian Grove uh, ceremonies, and it also appears on all of the Bohemian Grove um, correspondence invitations, some things that have been secreted away. Um, it's an owl. That's their symbol. Well, here's a question for you, sir. Such as, what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, the the worship of the owl by the Bohemian Grove members, mm. or the owl that is on the dollar bill? That's the, well, that's something that I don't know the answer to. That's the mystery. Now, go ahead, sir. If I could continue on Moloch, if I, if I may, uh, Moloch is actually an ancient name that is found in the Bible. It's a name given to a pagan god to whom things were sacrificed by fire. There mm-hmm. you go. See that? See that connection? It all ties in. Uh, matter of fact, the laws given to Moses by God expressly forbade the Jews to do what they have done in Egypt and Canaan, which is, quote, you shall not give any of your children to devote them by fire to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. Okay, well, we're going to actually take a question real quick, so here we go. Hello, caller. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, how are you? Hey, I was just calling to let you know the paper money that we have right now, yes. that didn't come into existence until 1913. There so you go. any paper money that we had before that did not have the decorative designs, like the pyramid, the owl, none of that was on the paper money before 1913. That only came into existence once the Federal Reserve took over. So before that, we had paper money, but it wasn't a standardized paper money. It, it, it was standardized, but it didn't look anything like the paper money we have now. Right. That's actually interesting to note, because that could be another conspiracy in a show all on its own about, oh, about the Federal Reserve. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've been listening to this program. I said, ooh, I like this topic today. And I, I know, sir, that you know a lot about the Federal Reserve, and maybe you could be our special guest, and we can talk about that. Maybe. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you very much for that insight. No problem. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye. Oh, interesting call. Yes, many people don't know the Federal Reserve is not a government entity. It is a private entity. That is correct. And they manipulate our money, left and right. That they do, sir. So, why is there an owl on our money? If, if, if paper money wasn't instituted until 1919, as the caller just stated, that that's after the founding of the Bohemian Grove, which contains so many um, uh, dignitaries and higher-ups and political figures, mm-hmm. it's not hard to make that connection right there. Right, if, and if you subscribe to that theory then one would say that the people that are involved in the Federal Reserve are also in uh, Bohemian Grove uh, active members. Uh, it's important to note that at the Bohemian Grove ceremonies, w- w- and, and it's not a secret that it exists. They the People do admit to being members of it, but they claim that it's just a social gathering where people go to, com- to forget uh, the, the pressures of their lives because they are high-ranking uh, officials. Uh, and there's some, actually some famous actors that are supposedly members, and they go to these events to kind of blow off some steam, get drunk, and dance around the woods. So, but it's it's odd. Most people don't do that. Some of the the, the video coming out of there is very very bizarre. They're dressed all in black robes, uh, and and they have huge bonfires, like we said, and uh, some bizarre chanting and things of that sort. And they and they actually going back to the biblical reference, they actually do sacrifice a a child in effigy, a doll of a child, and they call it the cremation of care. Right, which is that's how they kick off their ceremony or their their uh, weekend in the woods or whatever. 
Does it, it must make make these people feel like even more important than they really are. I, I don't know. I think that that's creepy and weird. It's strange, but anyway, like we like we talked about earlier, um, we we can de- devote a whole show to some of these other societies. Uh, there is a number of them out there, and some of the the more famous ones uh, would be the the, the Trilateral Commission. Uh, the Bilderbergers, the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, that's right. The uh, the Rand Corporation, which is another one. Uh, all of these, all of these ha- uh, societies have a. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a show a similar, on that because there's no way we thread running through them can get into any of that at this point. That's right, because we're coming uh, we're coming close to the end of the show. If there's anything else you'd like to add about that? Well, I mean, we don't have time to get into it, but there are an, an, an additional symbols that, if you'd like to research them uh, during the week or after the program, the uh, Statue of Liberty has some interesting things related to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas it's supposedly a a, a uh, Masonic goddess mm-hmm. or an ancient Roman goddess, there's a statue on top of the U.S. Capitol building that is, has supposedly nefarious origins. Um, Washington himself, uh, George Washington, is depicted as God on several paintings in the in the Capitol area, which is blasphemous, really. And why it's on our our uh, government walls, I don't know. I haven't seen that. I'd like to see that. It's very interesting very, to look at. Very interesting. Um, you know, and also, uh, you, you can see, if you go on uh, the web or on YouTube or whatever, you see a lot of these people, they take the different denominations of money and they <laughs> fold them in different different uh, ways, and you can you can create all kinds of different yeah, things. Yeah, but that's, again, you, you know, if you fold something up enough times, you're going to see something in there. It's difficult to uh, to not. Well, that's the thing. I took a uh, $5 bill the other day. To you see have $5? What, yes, to see what I could find, and I folded it up, and it looked just like uh, a life-size, uh, a lifelike portrait of Pee Wee Herman. Uh, where the president would be. That's odd. Because I folded it upside down and uh, did it have a bow tie? I tied it in a knot. Did it have a bow tie? No, actually, he was uh, he was uh, scantily clad. And, uh, and it was he in a movie theater? Let's move on. Okay. So, our topic today, obviously, uh, some symbol, secret American symbolism. There's plenty more that we could discuss. We're limited amount of time, but do your own research, do your own checking. There's ample stuff on on the net, right, and in books. At your local library that you can check out. So, you know, like any of our other shows, you know, we was a little different today. Um, uh, we're going to do similar things later on, but we are going to get back to the, the paranormal uh, aspect of, of our shows. Some people will be happy to hear that. Yes. So, you know, just because you're not necessarily uh, interested in the topic, stay tuned anyway because you're going to enjoy what you have. You're you, going you to learn hear, something. Yeah, you might hear some funny stuff. So we're trying to bring some uh, truth and light to, to many topics that are obscure um, and unknown to, to most people. So we endeavor all of our listeners out there. You know, keep your eyes open, be aware of your surroundings, you know, go out there, learn, try to educate yourself, and, uh, you know, bring something to the table. That's sage advice. Why don't we talk about our guests for next week? Uh, Okay. Well, next week, uh, we will be interviewing a couple of members from the paranormal investigative group called MAGIC, M-A-G-I-C, which stands for Massachusetts Area Ghost Investors Coalition. Investors? It's probably easier to say MAGIC. Actually, if you, I think if you just shout abracadabra, they'll appear out of thin air in front of you. <laughs> no, actually, we had an opportunity to meet these folks and uh, some very interesting individuals, to be sure. And I'm sure they're going to share with us a lot of, of their experiences investigating the paranormal here in the, in the New England area. That's right. They have a, a wealth of uh, knowledge at their uh, disposal and, uh, because they're experienced in this, in this particular field. And we'll delve more into, uh, you know, into their specifics history um, after uh, we get them on the air next week. So, In the meantime... You can contact us during the week or anytime at Mike at BlackstoneValleyParanormal.com. That's correct. So just remember, until next time, the truth exists. Believe it.